0: Well, good morning. Welcome to those online. Happy New Year. Happy 2023. There was a time that it just seemed so far into the future. It was like forever away. And here we are. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. You know, I was to deliver a sermon on December the 18th, as you know, Then I got sick for, I've been sick for three weeks. I didn't deliver it. At that time, if you notice your outlines, you notice your handouts, they've been scratched out. The date is now January the 1st, 2023, instead of December 18th. The title is now no longer gratitude. You know, uh, the idea that uh, it's preparation for Christmas, that's been crossed out, is now preparation for a new year. Just so you understand, I'll give you a little bit more insight as to how I go about preparing sermons. I I learned this in law school because that's how you close a jury. You close a jury backwards. When I get ready to preach, you get a verse, something you think the Holy Spirit is giving you to teach on. And you look at the composition of that verse, and then you extract from that verse all the points that you can see. That's your outline. And then you begin to fill that skeleton as you prepare with the sermon. You begin to fill it and add to those bones with the meat and the scriptures and the circumstances like you close the jury. You have all the points that you want to make sure the jury hears in trying to get them to declare your guy not guilty. So you think after you have all these points, bullet points, if you will, you then fill it in with circumstances that point to his innocence, if you will. Well, this outline was prepared well before I obviously prepared the sermon. But here I had to revamp it to make it gratitude preparation for the new year because gratitude is such a good message in my mind. We all need to hear that. So you're not hearing an old sermon, but a new sermon that's been revamped, I think, by the Holy Spirit. My text is the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. That, of course, is in the New King James, as I always generally have it. And as I always do, I always look to Psalm 1914 because as uh, imperfect as I may be and as erroneous as I may be at times when I deliver a message, I have to rely on the fact that God is protecting me and anointing me and leading me to say what I have to say. It's his words, or rather his thoughts, my words. So, dear Lord... This morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You know, the most celebrated holiday in America is not Christmas, it's New Year's Day. You know, the beginning of a new year brings new hopes, new dreams, new possibilities and new opportunities what am i looking for every new year probably the same thing that you're looking for and that is a new me as you're looking for a new you that is why 85 percent of americans will make new year's resolutions because it's not a question of just celebrating a happy new year we are anticipating becoming happy new us 44% of those who make resolutions think they can keep all of them. That's a pipe dream. 40% of those people who make New Year's resolutions break them before the end of January of every year. And over 75% of those who make resolutions have broken them by Valentine's Day. That's why I want to propose to you that it's not a New Year's resolution that we are to make, but rather it's a New Year's revolution, a real change that can mean a happy new you for this happy new year to come. So the prayer for all of us, for me, to you this morning, and to God is simply this. May God, who has given us so much, give us one more thing, a grateful heart. You know, God's word makes it abundantly clear that thanksgiving for Jesus' followers isn't a day we celebrate, it's a life we live. Daily we are to be living thanksgiving. Or maybe just for short, we'll call it thanks living. You know, the two most frequent commands of scripture are be joyful and be thankful. Joy and gratitude aren't options that God gives us based on the circumstances that are to be our priorities. Our circumstances are not the priorities. We are to live by new resolutions that, despite our circumstances, are a new goal. And that's only possible when joy and gratitude are not based on what's going on around us, but are built rather on who is within us. You know, in Psalm 30, verses 11 through 12, David cries out to God in worship, and he says this, You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. You know, instead of grumbling about our temporary circumstances, God wants those who have tasted His grace and experienced His goodness to radiate with joyful gratitude because of His eternal promises. But there are enemies to gratitude. Your odd lines disclose three of them. We have to fight these three to consistently display thanks living. First, we have to fight familiarity. Because we've been blessed so much, it is so easy to become too casual or too familiar with the things of God, and with the blessings of God. You know, God simply gets reduced <clears throat> down to the level of a grandpa that we love because he keeps sending us checks. But we really don't seek to know him better. You know, that's when we need to remember the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as David reminded us, And as we sang this morning, God is good, but God is to be feared. He is, after all, the Lion of Judah. He is an all-consuming fire. He is the eternal judge of every person, everywhere, from every generation. (coughs) See, he's the one. He's the one who thought of you. He's the one who made you out of dirt. He's the one who blew breath into your lungs and gave you life. He's the one that determines where your soul will be forever. And what you don't know about God dwarfs what you think you know about him. And the second thing we have to find is entitlement. Entitlement is the belief that we inherently deserve privileges of, or special treatment. Or that we have the right to something. You know, for example, some say... We'd be great parents. We deserve kids. Why are we struggling with infertility? Or someone says, I have remained sexually pure and pursued Christ. Why am I still single? Why don't I deserve the blessing of marriage like others? Or I've heard I have been faithful in my finances. Why am I still struggling to make it? Don't I deserve a high-paying job like some of my other Christian friends. But the truth is, as a sinner, the only thing we deserve is God's wrath and judgment. Christ is the only one who's ever been entitled to every single blessing that God has ever laid out. And yet he chose to give up his own desires, his own comforts, his own rights, his own pleasures. Why? For our eternal good. And third, we have to fight instant gratification. Instant gratification is when you do something or you want something that brings short-term pleasure but often brings long-term pain or problems. Some call it the disease of now. Have you noticed? There's a lot of waiting in the Bible. Noah waited months to get off the ark. Abraham waited years to get his first child. Israel waited 400 years to be delivered from slavery. And the world waited centuries for God to send his son. Waiting is a necessary part of growing as a person and as a disciple. You know, the the need for instant gratification will stunt your growth. It can't grow your patience. It can't grow your contentment or your self-control. Instant gratification lessens your overall appreciation because you move quickly on to the next thing that you got to feel for, that you want, that you see. It's like Pastor Sean from the Providence Mission who preached a couple of Sundays ago said, look, another shiny thing. You know, when you refuse to wait... You hinder your ability to see how your current decisions affect your future destiny. If you don't have a sense of how your yesterday affected your today, you'll give little thought to how your today is going to affect your tomorrow. It's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you will die. And so these three things fight against a grateful heart. But the lesson for us this morning, what fuels thanks living. Look at our text, Colossians 3, verses 15 to 17. It reads, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. So first thing, your outline line, notice that thanksgiving is fueled by a heart ruled by the peace of Christ. Verse 15 states, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called into one body, The NIV and the ESV translated it, the peace of Christ. Well, the peace of Christ or the peace of God is one of a kind, and it's offered as a gift to those who would receive it and submit to it. But listen, this peace isn't given just to calm your nerves, but to rule your heart. And Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Listen. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be afraid. That almost sounds like you have a choice in the matter. Because you do. You can trust what you see, or you can trust the one who is in control over everything you can see and everything you cannot see. It's your choice. There is a peace that passes all understanding that bypasses your mind and goes straight to your heart and rules it and leads it. You have a choice over what rules and over what leads your heart. Again, verse 15 states, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You know, the word rule is very interesting It's an athletic term that means to umpire, to referee. It literally says, let the peace of Christ umpire your hearts. You know, in a game where teams are battling and lots of things are going on, it's the referees and the umpires that call the shots. They dictate how it goes. And when there's any conflict or trouble arising in the game, they make the final decision. They decide how it's going to be settled. If I'm truly in Christ and he's in me, then his peace umpires my life and calls the shots. That means whenever conflict creeps up and whatever problems press in, I can respond well by choosing to listen to the one who is the ultimate umpire over my heart and over my life. And I'm going to choose to trust Not what I can see, but in the power, presence, and promises of Jesus who loves me, came for me, gave his life for me, and now walks through every part of life with me. And when I cling to that peace that is in the person of Jesus Christ, it calms my heart and it focuses my mind. You know another amazing miracle this peace will do for you? It won't just provide harmony in your heart, It will provide harmony in your church. Again, verse 15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called into one body. Paul is speaking to the whole church. Many members, but one church. And they're all connected. So when one part is troubled, it affects the rest. When one part is fearful, it shakes the rest. The peace of Christ isn't just to rule the Christian, it's to rule the church. Sadly, do you know that there are people who simply can't get along with others? And these are generally people who cannot get along with themselves. Negative, critical people are unhappy with you because they are unhappy with themselves. The wound they inflict will often look alike, like the, a lot like the wound that is oozing in their own life. A lack of peace ruling our hearts will provide a lack of peace ruling in our church. You can count on it. Remember, trans living is fueled by a heart ruled by the peace of Christ. And second, in your outline, thanks living is fueled by a mouth filled with thankfulness to Christ. Verse 15 states, and be thankful. It says again at the end of verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Both are meant to be continuous. Keep on being thankful. Keep on giving thanks. Never stop. You know, the Bible is full of commands to be thankful, but the word that Paul uses in verse 15 is the only time it is used in the entire New Testament. It is a combination of thankfulness and peace all rolled up into one word which makes sense because a heart full of the peace of Christ will produce a mouth full of gratitude to Christ. But a heart that lacks peace will belong to a mouth that lacks praise. They go together. You know, in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, you recall that Jesus healed 10 lepers, but only one returned to say two precious words thank you. And Jesus seemed stunned. Where are the other nine? Listen, he hadn't just given them their health back, but he gave them their families, their friends, their dignity, their future. In a sense, he raised them from the dead. He gave them their lives back. But only one returned to express his appreciation. Wouldn't you have liked to have spoken to the other nine to find out and ask them why they didn't go back to thank Jesus. One surely would say, I just did what he told me to do. I went and I showed myself to the priest. Another would say, I hadn't seen my family in years. I had to see them. I intended to go back later, but I lost track of time. Another might say, I'm really grateful, but I didn't know that he expected me to go back. I mean, isn't that what he does for a living? Don't the religious leaders pay him for doing that? And another might say, I didn't go back because I wasn't really sure it was Jesus that healed me. I've been taking these super herbs that were advertised as a cure for leprosy. I just thought it was a coincidence that it happened the moment... He talked to us. Now, you know, some brought, somebody probably complained. Well, I may be healed, but I look 10 years older than I did before leprosy. I mean, if he's the one who healed me, why didn't he make me look younger and completely restore me? And it goes on and on. You know, even though none of us have physical leprosy, we've had it spiritually You see, leprosy in the Bible always represents sin, suffering, and shame. And just as physical leprosy was incurable and fatal, so is spiritual leprosy. Sin is incurable and fatal. And Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. You know, we're all born with this terminal disease of sin. It causes us to be spiritual outcasts. But it's not just in our skin. It's in our genetic code. We got it from our parents. who got it from their parents. And it goes all the way back to a couple named Adam and Eve. It's incurable and fatal. No one in the Bible has ever been medically cured of leprosy. They were always miraculously cleansed of it. You and I cannot be cured of sin. We have to be cleansed of it. Remember the song? What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Question for you. Do you think the other nine lepers who didn't come back to Jesus felt thankful? Absolutely. No doubt about it. They felt Thankful, but they didn't give thanks, did they? Feeling thankful isn't the same as giving thanks. Jesus expected more from them than just feeling grateful, for he gave them back their lives. He expected them to express it, to show it, to say it, to demonstrate it. Why? Because gratitude isn't just a feeling you feel. It's a response that you give. To communicate how you feel, and the intensity of your response should mirror the intensity of how you feel. Listen to this great verse, Hebrews 12:28. "Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. What if God decided? He was going to match his level of blessing for you today with your level of passion, gratitude, and intensity in your worship of him this morning. If God used the same measure of blessing on you that you used in blessing him this morning, what would that look like? I read about a woman who was in the hospital when she got a bad report. and She was so angry at God that She went to the church chapel just to tell him off. She was angry because she thought that God had been deceiving her because he had been displaying himself as a a God of love. But as she approached the chapel, walked to the front to sit in the front pew, she tripped and she fell to her knees, landed on the bottom step of the altar. Well, on the bottom step of that altar were the words that were engraved that said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. A sinner. You know, at that moment, she realizes that God indeed had been more loving, merciful, and kind to her than she could ever have deserved. So instead of blaming him for her trouble or asking God to heal her body, she just thanked him for all he had done and simply asked him for more mercy. Well, whatever he decided was going to be all right with her, she didn't have to get healed you just want to thank him for what he did. You know Thanks living is fueled by a mouth filled with thankfulness to Christ. Third in your outline, Thanks living is fueled by a church consumed with the Word of Christ. Look at verse sixteen. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, Paul uses the plural you here. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. The word is to dwell in them together as a body of believers. And while it's popular and trendy these days for people to say they're Christians, but they have no use for the church. You know, you could read the Bible in the dark with one eye closed while half asleep and still not miss the inescapable conclusion that this church idea is God's idea. And it's his will for every individual believer to be a part of the larger body of believers. It's like the part... It's like your body and the parts of the body. Because apart from your body, body parts don't make sense. A hand is great connected to the body. A leg is, connect, is wonderful if it's connected to the body. Toes are essential if they are connected to the body. The moment a hand or a leg or toes aren't connected, they have no ability and of little value. It's when individual members of the body are connected together with life flowing through all of them that the body functions best. And so it is with members of Christ's body. Each member has an ability and value, but only when they are connected to the body. A life lived with consistent gratitude and thankfulness requires being connected to the church. And Paul goes on, he describes what it looks like. When the word of Christ is dwelling among God's people in his church, this is what he says, verse 16. There is teaching, admonishing, singing, They're able to teach and admonish one another with the word specifically by means of the use of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Finally, they are to allow the word to dwell among them by singing with gratitude in their hearts to the Lord. And they are to do these things together. We gather together. You know, many Christians today Want to hear a sermon or worship in song when they feel like it, or when it's convenient, or when it's acceptable music. Gathering every week to hear and sing God's word with other believers isn't just acceptable, it's God directing us. But let me tell you, listening to a podcast of your favorite preacher while you're in the gym, Or in the back deck, pushing three of your favorite worship songs through your earbud buds as you sing along by yourself does not make you a more passionate Christian follower. It usually makes you a less effective one. Listen. Disconnecting yourself from community is actually less faithful than connecting yourself to a flawed community. I like how the message... Version paraphrases this verse. It says, Let the word of Christ have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. We gather regularly with other members of the body to preach, pray, and sing the word of God because the word shows us And reminds us that Jesus uses flawed people to accomplish his work on earth. In spite of our sins and our imperfections. Listen, that's a sign of his grace. Not a sign of his absence. The church gives the world a front row seat to the matchless power and enduring grace of our awesome God. And it fuels Christians to live, live full of thanksgiving and gratitude in their lives. And lastly in your outline, thanksgiving is fueled by a life dominated by dedication to Christ. And verse 17 says, and Whatever you do in word or deed, to all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A person truly thankful to be rescued and redeemed through the gospel will gladly live all of his life in the name, for the name, and because of the name of Jesus Christ. Because with that name comes our identity, with that name comes our authority, with that name comes our responsibility, with that name comes our eternity. Jesus willingly surrendered all of his life to save ours. Now we should thankfully live all of our lives for him. Nothing is off limits. There is no event, no activity, nor endeavor, no goal that is exempt from the lordship of Jesus Christ. As one theologian said, there is not one square inch in all of the universe over which Jesus Christ does not say, that is mine. Every day, we should live in agreement to that fact by submitting all of our lives to him and saying, yours, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else, my question, is every part of your life and word and deed dedicated and committed to glorifying the name of Jesus Christ? Is there any part you've made off limits to him? The Reuben Donnelly Company was once the nation's largest printer of magazines. They had this huge machine. This machine would send out notices to people whose subscriptions had expired. But one day a tiny little spring broke in that huge machine, and a rancher in Powder Bluff, Colorado received 9,734 notices that his subscription to National Geographic had expired. He drove 10 miles to the nearest post office, sent in his renewal money with a note that said, Send me the magazine, I give up. Is there anything in your life, your heart or your mind that you've been holding back from complete surrender and control of the Lord Jesus Christ? Won't you lay it down before him this morning and say, Lord, today I give up and I give it it all to you, all that I am and all that I have. I will gladly and gratefully give all to you. Amen.